Immersive Audio Podcast. In conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business, to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Dan Johnston, welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast. How are you today? I'm I'm very good, surprising. Um, yeah, I'm awesome. How are you? <laughs> yeah, keeping well, staying healthy, in isolation. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what else can I say? Um, well, uh, I'm currently uh, recording from my home upstairs. Um, obviously, what's, what's the day today? 30th of March. So I personally have been in isolation for almost two weeks. This is beginning of the third week um how about yourself um i've been in uh staying at home for about a week now week and a half i think um just working from home got my home office luckily but um we shut the audio lab officially um last uh friday or a week no a week ago on friday so it's been fun. Um how are you coping in the current climate with social distancing personally and professionally in general um professionally it's it's fine um i'm at that stage in, in my phd where i've been lucky enough to finish my research so it's just thesis writing now just just knuckling down and and writing every day um and and i don't really need that much access to equipment so uh it, it's not nice not being able to go outside but you know, it's uh, everyone's in the same boat and stuff, and you've just got to sort of knuckle down and, and get through it, I suppose, at the moment. Yeah, I agree. Um, it doesn't work for everyone, but um, th- there are some kind of small positives that could be taken advantage of. Um, you know, there's just more time in your schedule, and um, all of a sudden you get to do things that you always wanted to do and never had time, you know. And I guess, when, when especially if you do research and if you don't rely on equipment, it's um, kind of gives you a bit more time as well. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and I've, I've sort of promised myself, um, you know, after I've gotten through this sort of adjustment stage uh, over the past week or so that I'm going to sort of knuckle, I've neglected my music production for, for a few years now, I think. So I'm going to sort of knuckle back down on that and and get into that and, and do it at different times of the day because you don't have to do that strict nine to five thing anymore. You can pick work up whenever you want and have a little break here and there and just do it in your own timetable, which I think I quite enjoy, to be honest. Definitely. Okay, well, let's get started. Dan, well, can you, for our audience, can you please introduce yourself and tell a little bit about your background? Sure. So uh, my name's Dan. Um, I am uh, currently a third year student at the University of York's Audio Lab. Um, I, my research looks into how we can use spatial audio and um, interactive spatial audio systems, uh, that, you know, for example, virtual reality and things to help children with autism spectrum disorders get over and, and, and help them cope with uh, sounds which can normally cause them anxiety or distress or normal environmental sounds, for example, um, alarms or uh, fireworks or thunder or that sort of thing. Before we get into uh, your project, uh, which we're going to be talking about loads, obviously, um, I just wanted to ask you, how did you get into audio to begin with? Oh, so um, I was, I started getting into uh, audio and music really when I was about 
22, I um, I started DJing. And um, I did a, uh, I quit university. I was actually uh, at university when I was 18 to do criminology and criminal justice. Um, but I really got into my G- DJing and I quit that and I did a music tech um, a diploma, not a, not a degree, just a diploma at a local college in Portsmouth. And from there, I just had a 10 year, 10, 12 year um, DJ career, DJ and producing, which I was, I was quite lucky in that because I managed to uh, go over, get jobs in Europe and Spain and Andorra and, and do some seasons and, and work out there in some really nice venues and stuff. And, and, and did a couple of festivals here in, in the UK as well, which was, you know, I was quite lucky with that as well. And so after about 10 years, I... I wanted to change it up a little bit. So I decided to go to university and I did music technology there. But instead of focusing on on the production side of things, because I, you know, I'd not had enough of it, but I'd wanted to learn something different. So I got quite into game audio and things like that in 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 Portsmouth. And um and then I I did my master's in uh at york which then introduced me to the whole uh immersive audio side you know i didn't really know it existed until then and and working people with uh gavin kearney and damian murphy and stuff it really sort of opened me up to this whole new world and then i then carried on to the phd which is where i am now can you tell us more about the Soundfields project and how did it come about? Sure. So Soundfields um, is essentially a, an interactive um, virtual reality environment or, or, or game, really, which has been developed uh, to help uh, uh, kids with autism deal with uh, common everyday sounds that they experience. And as I mentioned before, they can cause them anxiety and things. But what it is essentially is a fun and engaging environment for exposure therapy or really simple exposure therapy where we use spatial audio representations of these sounds, which normally cause them issues, and uh, put them into this environment and they're integrated into the game mechanics so that they can expose themselves to these sounds and therefore build up a tolerance or an, and positive associations with them, but on their own terms, which I think is quite um, quite an important part of it as well. So they can play the whole game, really, without even exposing themselves to these sounds. Um, it started off... Um, as I mean, because my my PhD research question essentially is how can spatial audio help children of autism and and uh, with this issue. Um, but I wanted to find a way of delivering this these stimuli to these kids. And at the University of York, we've got a fifty um, speaker loudspeaker array which is great. You can have fifth order, ambi- up to fifth order ambisonics um, played over it, but it's not the most um, inviting place to put anybody really. It, it, it's cool to look at, but it, it's quite daunting. And especially for a child, it, it could be quite, um, it, it, that in itself could actually induce some anxiety so, and just blasting sounds at them. So I developed sound fields as an engaging way to play these sounds to these kids. What motivated you to dedicate your research to this particular issue? 
it's kind of a lifelong involvement, really. Uh, well, the better part, of, better part of half of my life um, has been working with uh, children with uh, with special needs and, and learning difficulties and things. Um, so that started when I was about fifteen years old, and uh, my mother is actually she's a trampoline coach, and she uh, champions. Uh, uh, trampoline therapy for um, disabled uh, for disabled kids and and uh, physical and and intellectual uh, disabilities and things, and she's built a, a a center in 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 Essex where you know it's dedicated to special needs kids and it's got a sensory room and things like that. So working with within this population has always been in my life and I used to help out um, with some of the charities that she worked with and things so when I did my undergrad uh, project my, my final undergrad project I wanted to try and use sound and and how we interact with sound to uh, to help people and I created this uh, application just using max MSP and um, Quartz Composer uh, on the Mac to create some real um, basic visuals, and that interacted with a uh, a Connect, uh, just an old Microsoft Connect, and um, it gave real basic audio and visual feedback uh, for children with cerebral palsy within a sensory environment. So if they move their hand, it would uh, change some MIDI notes and things, and it uh, and it would the sound would react to their movements, and then that would then. Um, encourage them to uh, try some more voluntary movements and things, and and so that really got me into using sound uh, as a means of ther- therapy, and then moving on to to my masters and then my PhD. Then that's where I really wanted to um, apply it for you know apply spatial audio to things outside of entertainment or or education. In basic terms, can you tell a little bit more about uh, autism in general? How does it manifest and how does it affect people, particularly children? So um, autism is a, is a lifelong condition um, and it's it, it sort of manifests in, in four key impairments and, and issues. So they often, kids with it and just individuals with autism often have problems with uh, social and emotional like communication things like that um, also talking um, they have uh, repetitive um, behaviors and obsessive behaviors and um, also sensory processing so not just sound but also sight and and touch as, as well it can be either hyperreactive or, or underreactive um, but also it's a spectral condition so you have guys towards the lower end of the spectrum which can have quite um, extreme cognitive uh, and sometimes physical disabilities um, and, and a low IQ. And then up the top end of the spectrum, you have guys who um, can have you know difficulties with, with social interaction and things, but often quite high IQ and, and interests such as mathematics or, or, or science and, and, and stuff. But they, you have the four main characteristics you know you know the, the social uh, emotional the communication um the, the the sensory processing and the and the um and the repetitive behaviors mm, that's very interesting uh dan can you talk about how 
the Soundfields application works in terms of specific sounds and mechanics of the game and what sort of data did you use to inform the design of this tool? So in terms of the the stimuli that are delivered to the kids, um, that at this stage that was used... Uh, they were they were chosen from parental questionnaires and things. Um, uh, it, there was just a thing in the consent form which said uh, which sounds and where to to your children ex- experience you know these sounds and things. Um, so that's how we built up this library for this particular uh, set of sounds and this particular cohort of kids that we had uh, for the for the research study. Um, but then. With the sensory processing um, in terms of the in the auditory domain, individuals with autism can often have problems in targeting sounds within uh, busy busy auditory environments, like the cocktail effect. So, if they're trying to listen to a particular sound within a virtual environment, it's important for for this research that they actually recognise that it's there. So. From from previous work which I did, which investigated how kids with autism uh, react to spatial audio within a virtual reality game, what we found out is that you have to reduce the background environment for them to orient and actually uh, show spatial attention to these sounds. So that was that presented a bit of a challenge because how do you uh, get these k- kids to recognize these sounds without breaking the immersion. You can't just take out all of the sound, all the background audio and things, because otherwise it would it would totally ruin the whole immersion of the experience. So what we did is that we reduced non-essential um, sound objects, but still managed to maintain that level of immersion that was needed. So you, you didn't really hear or, or notice that any of these sounds were missing. And then we replace them in in times where, you know, the, the, the auditory stimuli, the problematic stimuli weren't delivered to them. Um, in terms of the auditory stimuli, again, uh, the, the problematic ones, it was quite interesting because when I first went into this, I thought I'd have to um, create a whole library of bespoke uh, sounds, you know, dog sounds or, or engine sounds or alarm sounds or, or in fact, in my first study, there was a pilot study. There was a uh, one of the participants. He actually had a problem with foreign accents on TV, which is quite a, a niche thing to be uh, to, to be stressed about. Um, but actually, with the larger study, what it turned out was how it turned out was that there was quite a, there was an awful lot of commonality between. Uh, the participants that quite a lot of them had um, a problem with general school sounds and kids fighting and playing in the in the in the in the playground. Um, quite a lot of them had problems with hair dryers. So that then warrants using this type of technology because you can have a, a library which you can then pick and roll out to a larger population base, for example. Were sounds treated in any special way to enhance any timbral qualities? Um, apart from trying to match the uh, the acoustic properties of the environment in which they're usually encountered in, um, 
not really. It was it was literally just get the recording and and trying to make it as as realistic sounding as possible. Not even nice. In fact, if it sounded horrible, then in a way that was better because as as close as it can get to the to the real to the real sound, the better. I wonder if you can help me. There are lots of orbs hidden around this forest. Can you help me find them? Every orb you help me find, you'll earn yourself one gem. If you find one of these orbs, just point your wand at it and pull the trigger. Your magic will pull it towards you. Sometimes a golden orb will appear and they can make noises that we don't want to hear. But don't worry, they are just noises and they can't hurt us. If we ignore them as well, they'll stop. But do you know what? The good thing about golden orbs is that they are worth 10 gems. So try your best to catch them before they go away. Are you ready to play and have some fun? If you are, just shoot that start button. Thank you so much. And well done for ignoring all of those loud noises. And don't forget, even when you're away from here, we can sometimes hear loud noises we don't like. But don't worry, even if they sound scary, if we just ignore them and pretend they're not there, they'll always stop. If you want to play again, just shoot that start button. Or if you want to play something else, shoot the home sign. I'm not sure if you have an answer to this question, but um, I'll ask anyway. Um, are there any particular interesting observations in terms of children just being exposed to like a 2D auditory stimuli, as in sounds in stereo, mono, for instance, uh, versus same sounds delivered in a more sophisticated way, like eventually you did with an end product, for example, when it's correctly spatialized and in 3D and also has a some kind of degree of interactivity. So the the study which I touched upon um, previously where we looked at how the kids respond to spatial audio, we actually had a 2D and 3D um, control group. So they uh, the 2D group just listened to to the mono representations, actually not even stereo. And this, this, this study was um, created, as I said, because we needed to see if the kids would recognise these sounds and also because... Um, quite often, children, um, individuals with autism can have um, issues in trans- translating and decoding the um, interaural time and level differences that we use to localize sounds. You know, especially along the well, along the horizontal plane. So, there wasn't any interesting outcomes from that study, apart from, as I mentioned before, the uh, the background audio thing. But when looking at localization they were able to localize the sounds fine. Um, we actually haven't, because just due to the timescale of the PhD, I haven't able to 
do a comparison with, um, you know, an autistic uh, experimental group and a typically developed experimental group. I think that would be a way of flagging up any differences between the two different populations. Um, outside any official uh, observations, again, no, not really. I mean, it's quite interesting when they experience uh, the the fire alarm stimuli in the school and then you see the guys looking around and actually sometimes thinking that there was a fire alarm or something so but outside of that no not not really yeah that's definitely would be an interesting one to to find out isn't it other than the fact that spatial audio kind of approximates the real world scenarios and make it kind of more realistic more believable and therefore hopefully more effective as a therapy perhaps there are other potential avenues to be kind of explored from there well yeah definitely just for the use in actual virtual reality interventions not just um you know not just not just sound fields but just how you use spatial audio to to direct attention in in any games really just to bring them to different parts of the environment the visual part of the environment it could help with disaster awareness training it can help with vocational training it can it can help with an awful lot of things i'm curious to hear more about the testing process and data gathering and stuff like that um at which point you were in a position to use this tool on actual autistic children and were there any restrictions or challenges in that regard um it's 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 been an interesting journey um my research in actual in actually using it with the desired population so it started off with uh, being used actually for a another study for another part of the university with this uh with this department called uh, Comic, which is the uh, Child Orientated Mental Health Intervention Centre, um, I think it's a partnership between university and uh, NHS Trust in York and Leeds, and they were doing a exposure therapy study in which they would compare uh, single uh, uh, sessions to multiple session therapy frameworks. And they had a child who, uh, a child with autism, who had an extreme phobia of bees and wasps. And what we did is that we used sound fields to help him deal with the sound of bees, because quite often you can hear a bee before you can even see it. And how it worked is that we had the bees, the virtual uh, bees flying around his head and things and it was part of his multi-session uh cognitive behavioral therapy framework and after that session he went and uh, to visit a beehive and they released the bees and they flew back to the beehive so it that helped him quite dramatically um it seemed and then from then where we had the pilot study uh, where we had uh, a small group, we had six groups, uh, six participants, and they played the game once a week for four weeks. And my last study, which was uh, which I've just finished, uh, where again the participants would play the game for four weeks, but we divided it in between uh, between uh, stereo and uh, third order ambisonics group. And also we had a four-week control period where 
the uh, children would also play um, just a regular virtual reality game. Um, the challenges involved outside the, the the ethical implications and and getting the ethical approval from the university has just been sourcing the participants. Really, it's um, it's quite a a small population, and then to shrink it down further to those who experience auditory hypersensitivity is it reduces your population even more and so therefore i've had to travel for the past well since september since the beginning of the academic year weekly um 150 miles to schools outside of york because there's there's nobody in in well there are special education schools in york but you know, sometimes they're too busy or they don't, they can't really fit me into their schedules and things like that, which is understandable. Um, but it means I've had to sort of reach further um, than that, uh, than just a local area. Um, but the challenges are worth it though, because you see these kids have, one, they're having fun. They have a lot of fun playing the game. And then, um, then you see them progressively getting used to these sounds even if it's in a small way. Um, for example, I had a um, participant who he had a problem with um, the fire alarm sounds. And he would, it, the, first, the first measurement I took with him, um, he actually it, he expressed quite a lot of distress. But then the last measurement before the school shut down, um, he, he, he was laughing at the uh, at the same sound, you know. So that's quite a dramatic improvement. Um, and you know, I'm not trying to say that Soundfields in itself is uh, an all singing, all dancing intervention tool. It, um, but what I've seen over these months and months of this study is that it could be used as a way to support other interventions other clinical based interventions so something they can do at school um, or something they can do at school something they can do at home using more accessible um virtual reality technology absolutely fascinating uh what sort of data have you managed to gather um, in terms of exactly kind of things you've just been talking about the, the can i call it officially treatment or it's more like a therapy so what kind of data um, have you managed to gather in terms of those effects on children um, so far that you could share with us? At the beginning of um, every study, we take a baseline measurement. And the baseline measurement involves playing um, the third order ambisonic representations of uh, problematic stimuli, which have been highlighted by their parents and, uh, and things. Um, alongside some control stimuli, such as um, such as the sound of fields and beaches, and in fact, the control stimuli were taken from um, Mark Green, who I believe has been, also been a guest on your show from his Eigenscape database. So we we, we were using that as some of the control stimuli, and. Um, We'd mash them all up together and they everybody would listen to everybody else's stimuli and then we'd get them to rate how they felt about 
the sounds. And, you know, as I mentioned before, sometimes they can uh, have problems in, in emotional recognition and things. So what we had is a, uh, a scale of six smiley faces, which went from very sad to very happy. And then they would give that, uh, give a score for that. But then as a way to bypass any emotional uh, and social and communication impairments that the child might have, what I did is implemented a way that we could track their voluntary interaction. So remember I said that the, the children voluntarily interact with these stimuli within the virtual environment. So what unit, in Unity, what that would do, would it would record every time the child interacted with their problematic stimuli. And what we've seen is within the first session, it's it's quite high because as I actually forgot to mention that after every single session, what we do is that we move this virtual sound source closer to the child to recreate a, an exposure hierarchy that they have done in um, systematic desensitization studies, where, for example, if a child is scared of uh, the sound of a toilet flushing, then they would move the child closer to the toilet. So what we do is use spatial audio to move the virtual sound source closer towards them. Uh, for example, in um, when a child is scared of a siren, we have the, the sound of the ambulance sound like it's streets away. And then eventually we move it closer and closer and closer until the ambulance is essentially driving past the child in, in, within the virtual environment, just, just the auditory environment. So... The first time they experience these sounds within the virtual environment at the start of their uh, at the start of the study, they seem quite far away. So they're interacting with these sounds quite a lot. However, when we move it closer, we've seen a dip in these sounds because then they, the sound is perceptually quite loud. And so therefore they don't want to interact with it as much. But then the interaction times then get higher as the as the study goes on. So that then alongside the um, their own self-reported levels of anxiety show an increase in tolerance to the sounds. And what you saw in children was quite uniform and consistent across pretty much all of them, or perhaps certain children didn't respond to therapy as well as others, or was it quite consistent in terms of its effects? Each child is unique. So each child um, had varying levels of of an increase in tolerance definitely some some responded a lot better to to the therapy than others however they still responded uh to this therapy and i'm not expecting every child to turn around and say oh now i like that sound if there is an increase in tolerance then that shows that the therapy in some way is working um, but then you've got to also take into account, you know, the, the the cognitive abilities and the physical abilities and 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 the social abilities of of the kids, and but also the the actual sounds. Um, for example, the fireworks. Now, um, some quite a lot of them showed a dramatic increase in tolerance in the fireworks. However. The fireworks I'm playing to these sound uh, to these children can't match the, the the decibels, you know, and the loudness 
of these sounds in real life because I can't safely do that within, you know, using headphones. But also then you've got to take into account the other sensory issues, the other sensory overloading problems that might happen, you know, with the amount of people and the lights and and just everything around them might cause them problems. So the, the sounds are also important and, um, yeah, just which sounds. I think that... They responded better to the sounds of children playing and fighting and screaming and, and shouting in a playground. They they showed the best results. In your opinion, what are the prospects are of this tool to actually reach clinical testing or indeed eventually being applied in a medical field? I think it it shows a lot of a lot of promise. Um, it's going to need someone to either, well, it's going to need some more funding for a start. Um, because obviously my, my, um, my PhD finishes. So if I can get a postdoc opportunity to, to, um, to, to further research this using, uh, any, the NHS, then that would be brilliant. Well, I've had some, um, an NHS trust, uh, in London, uh, they've before, um, all of all the COVID uh, things started. Um, they were really interested in trialing this out with a number of their patients um, across uh, North London and and the southeast. Um, so that would be interesting if I can, you know, carry that on. That would be that would be brilliant. Um, but just outside of that. In, you know, I can't see. I can't see it being used unless it, you know that I get, I get the opportunity to. We do see, in general, that the the world is moving in that direction. We see a whole plethora of VR applications in not necessarily medical fields to that extent, but in kind of therapy treatment contexts. You know, treating agoraphobia, fear of heights, and there is other phobias, you know, as a tool, I think the, the field is recognizing that as a quite powerful tool. It comes in different flavors and different types of technologies, virtual reality with spatial audio, without spatial audio, interactive, non-interactive, but it has been progressing in the right direction. So we can reasonably assume that it's just a matter of time before these kind of tools are taken on board and approved clinically. And perhaps it's already happening in some instances. This is quite old news, actually, but you probably might have come across uh, when doing your research. VR game was used uh, on children to mitigate the pain because they had a first degree burns in the hospital and uh, in some instances it was extremely effective and especially when deployed in conjunction of smaller dosage of morphine um yeah and and i've i've heard about it being used um also in 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 minor surgeries as well to to keep the mind off of any pain no definitely i i completely agree um well for example virtual reality research within the autistic population has been been conducted since the 1990s so it's been going on for a, for an awfully long time um but i don't think then the technology really warranted uh it's sort of generalized use throughout um you know for clinical applications but now you know with the birth of mobile app, uh, mobile vr um you know the quest or just the reduction and and the, the higher quality in the technology and the reduction in cost has opened it up to um, 
a, a definitely a wider audience. Um, the, the the people I was talking about before the the comic department at the at the university uh, using Soundfields for their study has sort of opened them up now to um, creating more virtual reality interventions, and they're looking to collaborate with me in the future, uh, creating some different applications for for different um, children. Uh, but they didn't really think about it until they heard about my my game so it's just about sort of getting um the exposure out there and and making sure that the right people know about it which is you know sometimes quite difficult um but it seems now that sort of news and media platforms and things are really sort of taking on this whole vr content and so then that is creating maybe hopefully a snowball effect which will then roll it out to the masses what is your general outlook on using vr and spatial audio as an effective cognitive behavioral tool to treat or aid different types of psychological disorders and learning difficulties i think it's i think it's brilliant i think it is um a really really important tool um, in in a case of you know CBT like cognitive behavioural therapy, as you, as you mentioned earlier, you can use it for um, agoraphobia, fear of flying, fear of spiders, um, social anxiety. Um, the list is effectively endless. They, they're using it for uh, PTSD um, applications for for people who've just come out of the armed forces. Um, but what it, where it really helps, I think, especially with um, a younger population is the the accessibility of it and the fact that you can move treatment from a, a clinical environment which in itself could be quite uh, anxiety inducing and, and and reduced you know they're not going to feel so comfortable going to a clinic and this can be done at home with their family um in an environment where they feel more comfortable and also the fact that you can turn treatment into a game. So you're motivating people to engage with therapy on a regular basis and you can safely expose them to sounds or well, in my case sounds, but in other cases, you know, the, the feared stimuli or, or this situation, which, you know, they normally got a problem with at a safe level. And they can safely make mistakes within this virtual environment. You can you can uh, control exactly control the, the the stimuli and how that stimuli is delivered to them, and they can repeat it and practice it and practice it and practice it over and over again. And and then that would then help with the generalization of what they're learning within the virtual environment to a real environment for example there, there there's a there's a group who are using um, virtual reality to help uh, kids with autism deal with uh, busy transport hubs such as airports and they're putting them in the virtual environment they're using spatialized sound and, and um, getting them to practice being in these you know environments which you might normally cause a sensory overload and then they can then go to an airport for example which then improves the quality of life for not just them, but also their families, because quite often some of these behaviours, quite extreme behaviours that are associated with, um, you know, sensory processing or, or 
social behaviors and things like that can limit what a family might be able to do. For example, there was a study where um, one of the participants had a real phobia of the sound of blenders and the family really used really like going to a, a juice bar which had loads of blenders and after this desensitization study they were able to then go as a family and enjoy you know smoothies and things like that but it was something that they can't normally do as i said virtual reality is is massively important i think as a as a tool to support other therapies can these type of tools eventually be distributed on vr content platforms like say oculus or steam whatnot or even mobile devices or it's best to be used under supervised conditions with like a professional guidance in place i think it's if if the game's designed well and um with the participant in mind then i think or the player in mind sorry then i think they can and should be used um and and um not not necessarily sold but distributed to a wider place using these you know mainstream platforms because um it's going to get the it's going to increase the accessibility to therapy exponentially you know it's going to reduce the cost of therapy and it's going to increase the therapeutic outcomes so i think it's a it's a, a bit of a given really that these things should be and in the terms of technology then if the games div- or, or experiences is designed to be able to be run on something like a quest or, or or an oculus go then yeah definitely or even as you said mobile vr or or even augmented reality as well you know you could have uh augmented reality characters to help with um social cues and help with social anxiety and and help teach kids with autism to interact with other people in your instance uh with soundfields it's it's very customized um and tailored to particular issues with those individuals things like treating agoraphobia or fear of flying it's quite general isn't it um and therefore with enough research and testing you could eventually produce a piece of content which would be generically applicable to all the individuals who have different degrees of that phobia and just put it out there for anybody to use if they want uh, free of charge which ultimately would probably save astronomical amounts of money uh, as far as national health service concerned because probably going to reduce the need for those individuals to request a therapy and then go and see a professional, or at least, if if not completely eliminate that necessity, then significantly reduce it uh, with somebody in place that can maybe supervise that process and have sort of one to ones every now and then. No, exactly, and also I think how it could help what would be a way of allowing the individual to to essentially help themselves which would then increase their own confidence in dealing with you know their their own particular issues because if if they're doing something that they can if they're self med I say self medicating but it's probably a different a better way to to describe it but if they're treating themselves with a, their own virtual reality platform at home and then they're seeing improvements themselves and that can only benefit the, the, the therapy in a way. What are the future plans in relation to the Soundfields project? So I'd like to expand it 
um, the dreams for it would be to expand it to incorporate um, other aspects that deal with the other issues um, relating to autism. So, for example, introduce some um, non-playable characters that the children can interact with that can then, or adding more interactability with non-playable characters so that they can learn social cues and, and communication with them, um, have some relaxation modules built into it, um, and different other education, and work with some uh, clinicians and, and, and um, educational um, bodies to really create sort of a, a larger educational and, and, and therapy environment that the kids can play and then they can just, uh, you know, they can they can address different issues rather than just a single sensory, uh, auditory sensory processing thing. So that that's my huge dream. Um, whether or not it can be achieved is is another thing. Again, as, as I touched on before, it, it does require, you know, funding and things like that. But um, it would be nice. Or if someone would like to take it, take it over, but it, it would be nice to see it uh, progress because it would be a shame if it just sort of stopped now in it in this sort of testing phase dan can you share one piece of advice with our audience that really helped you in your career oh that's a that's a good question um i suppose in relation with to to, to me and my experiences is i'm i'm not necessarily old i'm, I'm 35 years old but i started everything as i mentioned before quite late so it's never too late to start something that you're that you're really interested in and you know i i decided to start my academic career when i was 30 29 30 years old so as long as you know you know what you want to do then you can just let it take over and sail away with it really i suppose it's a brilliant piece of advice for anyone Dan, thank you very much for spending time with me talking about this fascinating project. You've been doing an incredible work, um, not only from spatial and interactive audio point of view, but also something very useful for our society, helping people. So I wish you best of luck and hopefully you'll find a way how to continue this project and doing more exciting research. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's, it's been re really good having a chat about this. It's, it's nice to... And it's nice to chat to someone outside my house as well. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Great. Thanks, Dan, and take care. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Before you go, we want to hear from you. If you'd like to let us know what you think about our show, please take the quick survey in this episode's description. It'll help us make the immersive audio podcast even better. We really appreciate your feedback. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Michelle Chan and included music by Inobs Bergamo. If you can, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out in pushing our show further. The podcast is also available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.